Hello and welcome to another edition of the People Behind the Tech podcast. We're a direct collaboration between the Leaders Performance Institute and our friends at SBJ Tech. I'm John Porch, the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and as ever, I think I can say that now, I'm joined by SBJ Tech senior writer Joe Lemire. How's it going, Joe? Ah, peachy as always. Good to be here. Delighted to hear it. And dare I say, I'm even more delighted to welcome today's very special guest. It's Dr. Matthew Preventure of the Stedman Clinic and the Stedman Philippon Research Institute, both of Vail in Colorado. Matthew is one of the foremost orthopedic surgeons in the world and specializes in the surgical treatment and rehabilitation of injuries to the knee and shoulder joints. Our listeners will be interested to know that he has worked with athletes across MLB, NHL and the NFL and remains a consultant physician with the New England Patriots. But that is far from all. Matthew is a retired captain, having served in the US Navy and has worked with the US Navy SEALs. He is also at the forefront of research in the field of orthopedics and received numerous awards during his distinguished career. And if I understand correctly, Matthew, you are also a varsity athlete. And I've said quite a lot there. And for all that, I don't even think I've come close to doing you justice in that introduction. But I can at least give you a warm welcome to the podcast. How is everything in Vail, Colorado today? Well, John, th- thanks very much for the kind introduction. It's uh, certainly not not necessary, but I will tell you in Vail, Colorado, much, like much of the western part of the United States, we're buried under snow still. It's still snowing, but uh, we're starting to get to spring, and it's it's been a wonderful winter for people that enjoy the outdoor pursuits. Well, that's great to hear, and at least my welcome can be warm, at least. And as is now, I guess I can say long-established tradition, I'm going to let Joe take the first question. I think four podcasts is where we can start saying long established. You know, as John alluded to, you are a, a varsity athlete. And I always like to, to start with sort of a, a, a personal athletic question. You know, how did you get into, into rowing? You were, a, you know, an All-American oarsman at the Naval Academy. How did you find yourself in that sport and what kept you at it for so long? Joe, you know, I, I almost defaulted into it. Yeah, we, we were at the Naval Academy and you know, you're, you're walking around in plebe summer and just trying to survive and get through day to day and grind out a million push-ups and pull-ups and running and getting tested on all your knowledge of just everything and memorization 24-7. But you know, as you're walking around in sort of this fog, one of the uh, coaches sort of grabbed me and said, hey, come here. And, you know, you sort of come here, you're at attention. <laughs> yes, sir. What can I do? He's like, you need to come out to the boathouse tomorrow. And I had actually, in full disclosure, done a little bit of rowing where I grew up in a very small town in New Hampshire and I didn't really take it seriously. But then I ran to the boathouse at the Naval Academy and said, this is home. This is great. And it was a great team sport on so many levels and really enjoyed the, the precision, the athleticism, the drive and really one of the ultimate team sports with, with great teammates. And, and obviously any athlete has that background, but when, at what point in, uh, as you started your medical career, did you realize that orthopedics and sports medicine might be a, a good path for you? You know, like many of us, we probably have to thank our mentors along the way. And one of my mentors was an orthopedic surgeon at the Naval Academy. And I had a few injuries, none of which were very major. Of course, they were devastated to me because I missed a few weeks of practice and a few big races. But you know, fortunately, this orthopedic surgeon was able to get me back, I think, faster and, and stronger and help realign me. And, and I said, what is, what do you do here? You're in the Navy and you do medicine. You don't 
the orthopedics is pretty cool stuff. And it was, again, that was sort of a natural. And I think we all have a debt of gratitude to our mentors and I have so many to thank, but this is certainly one that sort of changed my life. Now, one of the things in full disclosure, I wanted to be a pilot. I went there wanting to be a pilot, you know, obviously with our, the new Top Gun being released, we had the original Top Gun, which was, you know, super cool. And I'm like, I like that. I want to go there and fly jets and wear the shades and do everything. But I, unfortunately my eyesight uh, went bad and you had to have 2020 or 2025 overall. And I went down to like 2050 or 60 and I was devastated. And I fortunately was able to find a way to medicine and it was hundred percent the right decision for me. And then when you're in the naval setting, you know, we hear a lot about at least now, I don't know if the, the term was used then, but certainly nowadays, tactical athlete is a very common. There's a, a lot of crossover between sports medicine and military medicine and the, and the care of you know professional athletes and tactical athletes. You know, when did you, I think even in your, in your bio, it mentions developing a, a tactical athlete program. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that and what the work was like with those, you know, especially the, the special operations teams. Yeah, I, I didn't really know it at the time, Joe, but my first pro team that I had the opportunity to help take care of, and, and believe me, this was a team that came together to help take care of our, the Navy special warfare was uh, taking care of the, of the SEAL team. Uh, guys in, in Coronado and then all the support staff and everything that goes with it to make a you know high-end season professional in Navy special warfare and what we found in the early 2000s is we were we were doing a good job but we had a, a huge opportunity to, to get better and that was really the holistic care of the athlete you know if we for me if I just focused on their shoulder or if I just focused on their knee injury or their ACL tear or whatever it was you know, that was good, but it wasn't really optimizing their health, their mental performance, their resiliency, their nutrition, their strength and conditioning. And really what we sought out to establish, again, I was just one small cog in a, in a very, uh, in an incredible program that we set up both East Coast and West Coast with all the Naval Special Warfare was this tactical athlete program. And that's what we called it. We wanted to build a human performance program within the government and show the benefit of taking care of our most important of our most important thing, which was our human capital and taking care of them and bringing them to the next level. There are a few specifics maybe that you can share. I'd love to know what, what, you know, goes into building something like that. Yeah. You know, it, it's multifaceted and, and really, you know, I sort of call it uh, medical leadership because you have to bring, you have to bring everything together. And, you know, although you were musculoskeletal, medicine specialists, orthopedic surgeons, we operate, but we also do not ton of non-operative stuff. You have to bring a team together to really provide the holistic care of the athlete. And really it's the athlete of all ages. And, and I don't, you know, it doesn't matter what age you are or weekend warrior or full time professional. I, all of us could benefit from this to optimize our day-to-day -day life and pursuits that we enjoy. And putting that together from, you know, a really high-end nutrition program, for example, I knew more about your body than you would ever know about it, but in a good way. Like, let's find areas where you have some nutritional gaps and we can help fix that. And these might have been going on for years that you've combated uh, in, in terms of inflammation and malabsorption syndromes or just not getting the right nutrition. That was, that was a huge thing. The adrenal axis uh, with one of my really good friends who helped shine the light on this, uh, Dr. Kirk Parsley did an incredible job helping us understand the adrenal axis and the, and the sleep 
hygiene that's necessary. And everyone always talks about sleep, but our athletes and, and sleep is one of the most important thing on athletes of all ages. And uh, whether you're in your 50s, 60s, or 70s, or your 20s, uh, we're probably still not doing a great job with that. So there were so many different facets of the program we looked at on top of all of the strength conditioning and injury prevention and stretching programs and uh, just really putting this all together from a, a medical leadership standpoint was was really fun. Yeah. It, but it took a while to get the buy-in. I mean, you can imagine like, oh, I got to go to medical. You know, it's the last thing like a, a SEAL team guy wants to do is go to medical. So you had to change the paradigm. And, and over years, you, you change the paradigm. Like if you go to medical, you're going to be better. And it's, it wasn't just medical. It wasn't for injury. It was to get you better ahead of time. Yeah. And that's a, a great point that I think a lot of practitioners nowadays with pro athletes still find is, and I'd love to learn a little bit more, like how do you get that, that buy-in that going to the training room isn't just about recovery. It's about, you know, that prehabilitation. It's about, you know, the prevention component. Yeah, hundred percent. And, that, and that's really where we got our start really looking at injury specifics and really having some good data to look at that and how we optimized prehab for that, but also how do we prevent a hamstring strain? You know, that's super debilitating. I don't care if it's NFL, baseball, or, you know, in the military, that's a debilitating injury that can impact operational readiness. And so we were all about readiness. We we're all about keeping people active, keeping them in the fight, keeping them able to do their job at the highest level. And so changing that paradigm was pretty cool. And we've done a really good job with that. Now, I, you know, I was a very small part of that, but you still needed the medical leadership, which I think we certainly provided to bring in the right people and, and make it so that this program has now, you know, got huge legs of its own. And it's, it's, it's on, it's, it's amazing where, where it's come. And then as you transition out of the active service, and I know you took the position at Mass General, and this is when you start working with the New England Patriots, did you see yourself wanting to get into, you know, pro sports work? Or did that just sort of come, become sort of a byproduct of the position that you, you were already seeking at Mass General? I, it's, it's interesting. I did not really want to get right into pro sports right away. It was, for me, we, we had, I was brought to Mass General for multiple reasons, you know, really helped build up a incredible sports program, do some, do some things that we really had as priorities and you know, taking care of a professional team is a, lot, is a lot of work. And my hat's off to all of the athletic trainers, the physical therapists, the strength and conditioning, the, the physicians, the doctors at, at all levels that care for professional teams on a, you know, full-time or near full-time basis or part-time basis, because it, it is an incredible amount of work that goes into this. I mean, much, much like what we did with, with the Navy Special Warfare and the Navy SEALs. So for me, it, it sort of just landed in my lap after being there a certain amount of time. And it ended up being an incredible follow on to what we were doing with Navy Special Warfare. Well, first of all, where's your Super Bowl ring? Do you still keep that around or? <laughs> uh, it's, it's locked up somewhere. <laughs> but I can tell you, I had to pay, I have to pay a lot every uh, year now to ensure those things. It's, uh, <laughs> they, they're not, uh, they're not inexpensive. Yeah. As it happens, a, a high school friend of mine has been in the, the Patriot scouting program for years and I think, mm -hmm. you know, six of them. So I think, uh, yeah, that's I, don't, I think, I think he works for free. Basically it all just goes right to the insurance. <laughs> Um, exactly. The, uh, uh, I know with the Patriots, you, you've been, there's some stories about cre crediting you as being one of the, the leaders of a, a pioneering wellness and injury prevention program. Is that, I imagine a lot of that was probably built off some of your experience in the Navy or how much of it was new? Like what went into 
would have went into that. When I took over the head team position job of the New England Patriots, I, I saw a very unique opportunity to provide medical leadership at the next level, like we had done with our Navy Special Warfare. And you know, fortunately, we had you know a great coach and Bill Belichick, great ownership in the crafts, Jonathan and Robert, that I, I really talked to them around the around the facility about providing the competitive medical advantage and how we would do that. Now, of course, that takes resources and takes funding, money, other other things, a little bit of a paradigm shift in terms of how business was conducted. But when I got there, it was, it was pretty good. We, we needed to fine tune. We needed to build the team up better. We had an incredible head athletic trainer and Jim Whalen that was doing a ton of great work already. We just really needed, I think, to, to fine tune the system, to really operationalize it to lead it at a higher level to bring in the right professionals and what we did we and we doubled our our medical staff and whether it was part-time or full-time we had i had a spreadsheet of about 83 individuals that i could call on or either full-time or part-time just to take care of the new england patriots 83 individuals on the spreadsheet it's pretty it's pretty incredible and that that number was doubled since uh you know after i got there and really just wanted to provide the medical leadership to give the the crafts and belichick who were you know just a little bit competitive to provide that competitive medical <laughs> advantage yeah no uh to, to say the least uh, and john i know uh in your work with the the leaders performance institute you're often around a you know you know practitioners in the team setting what would you like to learn about the process here yeah thank you very much joe i think it would be very interesting to ask about that wellness and injury prevention program were there some principles underlining it that could apply in any sporting context whether that be in the u.s north america europe or wherever it might happen to be in the world john it, it, it applies ubiquitously in, in my opinion as i look at i look at my patients here in vale colorado and from weekend warriors all the way to english premier league to nba to nhl to the nfl the, the ability to provide high-end almost VIP or concierge level care to an individual and understand the individual's goals and identify where there may be some gaps in the entire performance program is amazing to put together and to provide that for someone and to provide that information, to provide the program so that they can get better and realize their potential. What about the relationship between wellness and injury prevention and where teams can make gains? I'm not sure necessarily in Europe. I don't necessarily speak for North America, but I'm not sure that's completely understood in this neck of the woods. In our worlds, we, you know, we, all, we all have, you know, pick your business, pick your industry. We all have some very siloed areas. You know, we have buckets of areas that we know and our expertise. The, the beauty of putting together this program is, number one, you have to check your ego at the door. <laughs> you have to provide the medical leadership, as I call it. And you have to bring a, a team of reasonable experts in each of their specialties to be able to put this program together. I am not a mental health expert. However, I know who to go to and how to put this program together and how we take advantage of uh, player, athlete, weekend warrior, mental health, and get them back. Even someone in their 50s who tears ACL and wants to get back to skiing and biking and hiking and doing all these things outdoors, that's something we could still even do a better job in. So there's so many parallels across pro athletes to weekend warriors to day-to-day -day folks to 
uh, English Premier League to the NFL, we, we can provide the, the wellness, the injury prevention, the, the mental health, the uh, musculoskeletal programs, uh, assessments, and then start marrying it up with data to help give people data-driven decisions and to be able to follow their progress. And we, we find that to be extraordinary extraordinarily beneficial you know for example and some of the nfl players they're like oh why am i doing this why am i doing that but once they saw the data in terms of how they were tracking and how they were getting better with sleep and nutrition and stretching and getting lesser injuries and less time on the injury report the culture of the locker room is amazing it spreads like wildfire fantastic and a couple of things to pick up on there when a pro athlete comes to you with an issue how do you work with the multidisciplinary teams that may be around them, whether that be a, a physio or an SNC, whoever it happens to be? What questions do you need to ask? What do you need to know? And what questions do these practitioners tend to ask you? The questions are becoming more sophisticated because people are people are learning and buying into the entire mm-hmm. wellness injury prevention program. And so we, we're really trying to find a way to put that all together. But at the end of the day, you still need someone to organize it, to put it together. You know, if you have just one of those buckets working with a player, you're not realizing the potential. And so one of the things we routinely did was meet as a group and all, all the time. And, and my heads of heads of state of all the, of all those buckets, and we would meet two, three times a week in the training room in, in Foxborough, we would meet and talk about all our SEAL team guys that needed attention. And that way we could put our heads together and figure out what was the best for the player and get everyone's questions answered. Now, many times we didn't, we didn't know the answer to the questions. We were, you know, this programs like this didn't exist back then and we're, we're better now at it, but we were sort of <laughs> sailing, you know, sailing out on the ocean without uh, fully knowing where, where we were going. And we were trying to make the best evidence-based decisions, but most of the time we got it right, but it also helped us develop the, the program better. So the questions, the curiosity, the innovation, all of that was there and all of that was encouraged around the table to help that individual perform better. And if I could have one more question before I hand it back to Joe to continue. You mentioned there about approaching it with an evidence base. Now, what about the interpersonal element of your role? How do you build trust with a patient? How do you get them on board with your ideas? Because they've, they've come to you, right? I mean, that's a, a ringing endorsement in and of itself. And it's not just the expertise that you bring to the table. There is that interpersonal element as well, right? Totally. Yeah. Like who, who's this preventure guy? Why am I listening to him? He doesn't, he doesn't know football. He, what's going on here? He, like I heard it all. And what's, what's interesting about that is, you know, leaders performance Institute, it says it in the, in the name it's, it's about leadership and leadership by presence, leadership by, understanding the player leadership by getting to know them, getting to know their goals, getting to know some of their gaps, and then providing them more information and data, the, the buy-in actually becomes pretty easy. But it can't just be like, oh, you, you know, you got to go do this because you got to do this because you got to do that. You have to you have to cultivate these relationships on the team. And there's a lot of players, you know, 53 players plus 10, 20 on the practice squad, plus, you know, coaches and significant others. And, you know, it's a large, it's a large organization, much bigger than, you know, obviously soccer, NBA, baseball, but it's, it's really fun in the NFL to, to take care of a team and, and earn their trust in the locker room. But it, you have to earn their trust. You have to treat 
you know, everything with integrity and that you're in their best interest. And conflict has been brought up in the team position world. You know, are you working for the team or are you working for the player? And at the end of the day, you, we always win if we take the highest level interest in the player and we make the decisions that are in the best interest of the player. Now, sometimes, many times those align with the team, but sometimes they don't. But at the end of the day, if there's that conflict, as long as you have the best interest with your job as head team position, have the player at heart, you, you'll win every time and you'll win over the locker room. Yeah, really well said. And and a few times you've mentioned, you know, the, provide them with data, provide them with the evidence. I'm curious a little more about the last 10 years or so. We've seen this influx of everyone wears GPS and, you know, on the on the practice field, They've, whether it's a, you know, a whoop or some other sort of heart and sleep monitor. I mean, there's a lot more cameras for biomechanics analysis. What are some of the areas that have been particularly helpful for doing your job? Joe, I, I would say all of the above, but you, you have to be careful because you can have paralysis by analysis. You can have way too much data that you don't even know what to do with it. And with that, you, you have to really find out what is the most impactful, what's evidence-based. And again, we, we were on this journey very early where we didn't really have the evidence. And fortunately, we've got some really good PhDs, really good people in the physiologic spaces and wearable spaces and sleep spaces and all those, all those that you mentioned to be able to help us know what's best. You know, for example, heart HRV, heart rate variability. Well, how do we interpret that? It was probably different, not just for every sport, but also different for every position. And we'd have HRVs on folks, you know, from you, you name the band that, that they wear, but you could track it and see. And now, now we have some pretty good data on that. And we, we didn't know what we were doing at first, but now we, you know, we've got it. We know what a lineman is like versus a cornerback in the NFL and, and among other things. We also know like what type of environments the, the SEAL team folks were deployed to and how they were doing and how their uh, data came back based on being in the desert or being in the cold or being, you know, at, at sea, high, highly variable. And so there's very situational, there's these situational dynamics that we have to interpret with the data. There's a ton of data. If you have the sensors and the pads or the sensors on uh, soccer players, the amount of data every second is amazing. <laughs> and to be able to in interpret that and put that together is, you know, that's, that's a full data analytics team and, and you have to work with them closely. And so you have to, you know, sort of set the, set the stage, set what's most important and try to use the best evidence based medicine to, to make some of these decisions, but it was all of the above. And, you know, we started, you know, just to be very transparent, we started very sim simply, you know, what, what do we have the best data on sleep? And so we started with that and I knew that would be very impactful. And that's what we had worked a lot on with Navy Special Warfare. The sleep cycles, adrenal axis was completely off. And as we looked in the NFL very early on, guess what? It was also off as well. Travel, hotel stays, all, all sorts of other stresses, playoffs, holidays, different practice schedules, et cetera. So th that was something easy to track. And we were able to make some impact there right away. And then, then we started picking off a bunch of other areas. Yeah, it does seem like a recovery and load management, you know, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And that's certainly become a, a key part of, of pro sports these days. 
And then I know uh, on the side, you've also uh, started your own company, Proven Performance Technology. I'd love to know a little bit more about the, the thesis behind that and what you were trying to solve for. Yeah, Joe, I guess I would describe this as another passion project because one of the things we found, and I guess this got, got its roots from where we started the story here and my beginning of taking care of the, the SEAL team guys was understanding their injury and, and really, you know, one of my sayings has been health matters. And so that's where we started uh, proven performance tech now better known as the predictors where we, we really look at how health is impacting uh, the game and how it can be used to optimize the player better, whether and it depends on the customer, but whether it's a team or whether it's the fan in terms of, you know, understanding what, what injury means, how health matters and, and how it affects the game, because let's face it, it affected the game in Navy special warfare and it's affected, it affects the game in NFL it affects it in EPL and it affects it, you know, re recovering the 50 year old from, from an ACL tear. So Health matters, and that's where we started the predictors. And now we have an amazing and, and robust data set where we're really able, with you know, millions and millions and millions of data points, to be able to provide some advanced insights to multiple disciplines, whether it's teams, whether it's agents, whether it's other NFL entities. And then what I think most importantly to help understand it better, and that's where we really tried to demystify some of these things is, is the fan and really arming the fans with better information and better data to make informed decisions. And I know along with that, you've been um, working with Fox Sports um, as, a, as, an, as an analyst in this regard. You know, what are some of the, the, the predictions that you try to make? You know, what, what is, you know, what's some of the early things that you want fans to know? Yeah, you know, right away they ping me. When's Mahomes coming back? How's he going to do? <laughs> what's the ankle like? What's everything? It's all it's all stuff like that, and it, it's it's pretty simple to start with. But when you start diving deeper into it, there there's a lot that goes into it, and it could be the weather, it could be the turf, it could be their prior injury pattern, it could be their rate of re-injury, could be how quote unquote banged up they are, and you know we've trademarks, you know, we trademark numerous terms, one of them being the banged up score or the bounce back score, or the resiliency score. And we're able to really quantify how players are, are, are dealing with injuries because it's, it's, it's a fact of life in, in, in sports and how they, how they get back and, and how they perform, but also on the other end, providing players and or teams and, and agents information on how to potentially optimize their, their player better. And so we, we know the health of the player as best we can. We don't have any access to anything behind the firewall, but we try to understand as, as best we can to put the data together and, and provide these unique insights. Yeah. I'd love to know a little bit more, like, well, how do you compute the banged up score? Like what's underlying that without yeah, with giving away the secret sauce, of course. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's proprietary. Yeah, there's a lot of secret sauce behind it, uh, Joe. So it is proprietary and but in, in general, we look at we, we look at their injuries and, and how they perform, and we have really hundreds of variables that we're putting together. And now people will say, well, how the heck are you able to put hundred hundreds of variables together? But we really have access to a lot of player information, team information, coach information. There, there's a lot that goes into every play, for example, and how players are utilized. And so we, we've drilled this down to a very granular level in order to provide a, a pretty robust proprietary algorithm that looks at 
how that player's readiness is for the game. And this is exactly what I, I, I did with the, the SEAL team guys was, you know, what's your, what's your readiness score to deploy? You know, and it's pretty simple, you know, the, the commander of SEAL team, you name it, Preventure, what's, you know, what are these guys, are they ready this and that? And, you know, go through the list and I've got, you know, all their numbers ready to go. And who's ready to go, who's not, who's on the bubble and what do these other folks need to do? And it's the, it's the same way. So a lot of, a lot of proprietary behind the scenes stuff under the hood, but it's, it's really taken in hundreds of hundreds of variables. And the way we're able to do that is through just scale of data. We have a lot of data and that's the only way you can put in so many variables. Otherwise it's not, you know, if you look at statistics, you have too many variables, it doesn't mean anything, but because we have so much data, the variables mean something. And you mentioned a, a little while ago how debilitating a hamstring injury can be. And that certainly is an area that's still one of the top one or two injuries in almost every sport that involves any degree of open field running. You know, just sort of using that as, a, as an example, but how have you seen injuries change over the last decade? Are, are we seeing certain types of ailments happen more regularly? Are there certain areas where we've you know, the, the sports medicine practitioners have found good ways. Like, are there certain injuries that are disappearing or are we getting better at some of them? I'd love to know your macro thoughts about, yeah. about this. Yeah, so the, the, the macro thoughts go down to a micro level pretty quickly, Joe, because you're, you're, you're looking at how the game has evolved over time. And there's a lot of chatter out there, of course, and articles and information. And if you look at the emphasis on concussion prevention and, and head hits, well, you've still got to take the player down, so it has to occur somewhere, whether it's the shoulder or the sternum or the knee or the leg. You can see how the how important the decisions are with our data from the NFL Rules Committee and how that changes the game and what's getting flagged and not getting flagged. And then the coaches are amazing in the NFL because they know how to coach for that, so you're not getting a penalty or you're not – you know, you're hitting right and tackling right and preventing an additional two yards gain. And, you know, those, those numbers matter because sometimes playoff playoff decision-making comes down to, you look at, you know, 17 games, it can come back down to a few yards over 17 games or a couple plays. It's amazing when you really look at it or a couple goals in the EPL here or there. And it, it's amazing the, the, the differences that you're looking for. So coaching this, looking at the, uh, looking at the flags, looking at how the, the game has evolved, all, all of that's there. And it's very interesting to look at our data set. You look at turf, for example, turf's another interesting uh, discussion. And that's been something we've looked at quite a bit in terms of how turf and grass and things compare across the, across the 32 teams and, and home games and, and how that performs. And there's some pretty interesting data with that in terms of, you know, just how hamstring tears occur on, on different, levels of turf versus grass. And so that changes. So there's the issue is there's so many variables that go into it. But when you really look at it, the back up to your macro level question, it's really a, a more about the, the rules of the game, where the flags are coming from, how the players are coached, and how to execute the game, if you will. And uh, what are some areas of, that surgical techniques have improved considerably where that return to play has been shortened quite a bit? Yeah, you know, Belichick would all be like, when are they coming back? When are they coming back? Okay, really? Is it that long? You know, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's amazing where we have made progress in our anatomic repairs, reconstructions, getting things back. 
there are so many technologies that have helped us, especially in the last five to seven years in, in orthopedics to help players of, of all ages, you know, get back. And that's ACL surgeries, ligament surgeries that just have much better fixation, much better uh, stitching and tape constructs and knotless fixation anchors and everything without knots. We used to have to, I would get so frustrated when you're teaching how to tie a perfect knot on the labrum in the shoulder or a perfect knot somewhere else in the knee. You'd get frustrated if it wasn't tied right because the integrity of the entire repair was based on that. But now that's that's completely gone in terms of knotless anchors. We just able to put it in, zip it down, and it's super strong. We have these things called internal braces where we're helping ligaments heal better. And whether it's in, in the thumb with a, a ligament injury, and we've seen numerous of those in the NFL this year or, or in the elbow, we're not only putting collagen in and, and reconstructing the ligament when they tear these ligaments, we're also putting in polyester tape suture or other types of tape sutures to be able to improve these mechanics and get the healing better and, and get the overall uh, return to play more reliable and, and I think much more efficient. So the advancements have been amazing. And, and I really look forward to where the field's going because there's, there's still a lot of work to be done to get players back stronger, more efficient, and more reliably. And I know you're involved in quite a bit of research on, on your own. What are some areas that you're, you're working on these right now? Well, one of the, it's you know, certainly one of the areas I've studied extensively, and, and this was just from the, the military, and, and I have to thank the, the Navy and all of my patients there that, that helped me understand this better because I don't think we were fully getting it right, but uh, shoulder instability or dislocations has, has been a big one on top of ACL and ligament and cartilage, cartilage meniscus injuries. So th- those are areas we're really focusing on in terms of how do we optimize uh, shoulder dislocation surgery how do you how do you get the player back better how do you do do we need to just do a repair do we have to augment with small pieces of bone how do we use biologics to be able to effectively get everything to heal better how do we use your own platelet rich plasma or bone marrow aspirate concentrate bmac as it's known to help improve that and so we're we're studying a lot of that in, in randomized trials to try to find out what we can do to make it stronger, more efficient, and, and more reliable. Great. John? Thank you very much, Joe. Yeah, Matthew, I'd like to ask you, sticking with research, how do you feel the research in your field, much of which, of course, you are responsible for, has impacted on training programs or athlete management systems across the world of sport? Well, John, you know, it's, it's a team effort. I mean, there's so many great researchers, and you have to include our athletic trainers and our physical therapists and post-injury or post-operative rehabilitation protocols that have really helped us understand how to rehabilitate the athlete. We're always, okay, we'll put your sling on for six weeks and you're going to do this and this and this, but there's so much more than that. You know, put your sling on for six weeks, you'll be back in six months. You know, we have the six and six rule. There's so much more to it now with evidence-based medicine in terms of how we accomplish that tricky balance of immobilization, meaning a knee brace, a sling, ankle brace, what have you, the wrist elbow brace, and then how we keep the joint mobile and still have the tissues heal without undoing any of the repair that we may have done. So working closely with our our therapists, our athletic trainers, our strength and conditioning, the, the body of evidence out there is really starting to improve. We have a ton of work to do, but it's, it's really getting better, especially in, in terms of some of the ACL return to play, multi-ligament knee injuries, meniscus injuries, shoulder injuries. 
and it, it, it's much different than what I did 10, 15 years ago in terms of how we, how we do this. And it's really customized to, to the player. And that's what we're finding out. If you, if this area is fixed, this area is torn and this is that we're, we're able to titrate that much better and, and much more specifically. And, that, and that's where the research has gone. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, when is it safe to return to play? And that's always a, a tough one. And, we're, we're getting much better. And guess what's helping us with that it is data and wearables and electronics and strength testing and coordination and making sure that 14 muscles or 15 muscles around the shoulder, depending on how you slice it up, that, that, that work the shoulder joint are operating well and functioning well so you can get people back reliably and they, they know that the shoulder's ready to go. So the, the technology has, has helped us a ton to be able to assess these better. You know, for example, in Vail, we test shoulder and knee with instrumented computerized testing before we let people go back to play because it's just much better than what I can, you know, test with a little bit of hands-on. And, and so it's helping us immensely. Of course. And what about differences in gender, male and female athletes? Now, the story in Europe certainly is that in soccer players, ACL injuries, to name one example, are more common in female athletes versus male athletes. What are some of your thoughts on that? And what can teams and organizations be doing differently in order to address a statistic such as that? John, it, it, this, is a, this is a great question in an area that is really under a, a ton of great emphasis in, in the research world is to understand gender-based differences in terms of not only injury prevention, but also recovery, surgical techniques, et cetera. And we are, we're getting better with that. It's uh, been so much work has, has been put into this. We still have a, we still have a lot to do, but you, you hit on a great one. ACL tears in, in females versus males. They're, they're much different. The injury mechanisms are different. The underlying issues are different. But if you look at someone like Bert Mendelbaum, who's taken care of U.S. soccer, men's and women's teams for a very long time, he started a, a program that looked at doing certain exercises for high school girls soccer team in the Los Angeles, California area. And those that did those specific exercises that again, were based on evidence-based medicine to uh, strengthen the core, to strengthen the glutes, to do certain stretching activities that we feel are important, hamstring work, hamstring stretching, et cetera, as part of a warm-up program before every soccer practice, those soccer teams enjoyed a much less statistically significant ACL injury rate in those females during that upcoming season. And so we, we've known that for a long time. We still need to get better and we need to coordinate better with our organizations, our NGBs, our governing bodies, our you know, national team, all the way down to high school, middle school, and, and, and below to make sure that we're, we're doing this properly because you know, a single ACL injury is devastating and you know, it can change your, your, your career. It can change your long longevity of the knee. The, it can change, it can change, potentially change your life. Now you're still going to get back to plenty of stuff at the end of the day, but you may not be able to get back at the, at the highest level. So we want to prevent that ahead of time. And this is an area that is undergoing an extreme amount of research, but we, we need to do more. And what about specific sports and their impact on your treatment? So if there were, say, a football player and a hockey player, two different sports with a similar or almost identical injury, perhaps they have a similar injury history as well, how does that change your approach to treatment? The one thing I've learned is the more, you know, the more individualized 
we can be, the better. If we take a very cookie cutter approach to treatment, it's it may not always work out. You, you might get it to work out quite a bit of the time, but really to help take this to the next level, it really has to be individualized. And, you know, for example, if we just focus on the shoulder and, you know, we as orthopedic surgeons can just, you know, look, look here, but if we go back to our earlier conversation, I, I need to make sure you're mental health is solid, that you're ready to undertake the rehab, that up here, your, your, your brain is ready to be able to do this, your adrenal access and your sleep and your nutrition and everything else is, is dialed up for you to be able to optimize going through some type of intervention. So really taking a individualized approach to your, your patient, your athlete, and what we call precision medicine is the future. Fantastic. Joe, is there anything else you'd like to ask? No, that this has been a, a, a world of insight, uh, and uh, we really much, very much appreciate your your time and sharing your experiences. Well, gentlemen, it's a, it's a great pleasure and honor to be here, and uh, thanks for your time, Doctor Matthew Preventure. Thank you very much. 